Spanish New Year's Day 2015. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Folk Runyon. And tonight, we present a discussion on the importance of Canaanite and or Phoenician mythology in magic, a magical Kabbalah, and in Solomonic ceremonial magic. We will explore how it can relate to alchemy, astrology, and hermetic solarism. We will discuss the alchemical symbolism of our Canaanite seasonal rites and the relation of Canaanite gods and goddesses to the Sumerian and the classical Greek pantheons. So, if you want to explore what lies behind the myth of Solomon being the master magician, tune in and we'll introduce you to the real old religion. Now, um, this is a this is a very meaningful subject, especially after some of the discussions we've been having in previous weeks, uh, based on the, the lost gospel book that just recently came out. And what we've been doing, as uh, you, those of you who've been following our, our presentations for the last few few weeks, what we've been doing is we've been tracing. Um, on the, the quest for the Holy Grail. We've been tracing uh, the development of pagan gods and goddesses, especially the concept of the dying god or the year king. And we've been tracing this through all the way from, well, from Isis and Osiris and Baal and Astarte, all the way through into finally culminating with Jesus of Nazareth and Mary Magdalene, Mary the Lady of the Tower. And this is the model that we've been using to do this tracing, tracing work, is a is a piece called the Nasain document, which was which was recounted by a a dark age, I say dark age, early medieval or dark age bishop, Christian bishop by the name of Hippolytus. And uh, and he recounted this Nicene Gnostic document in which these uh, these first century Gnostics traced the development. And of course, they they were professing to be to be Christians, like so many Gnostics at that time were, and tracing the development of the the uh, nine gods um, that were reborn either. In the case of Isis, in the case of Osiris, he was reborn up in up in the other world and and stood in judgment. But most uh, in in most of the ancient uh, religions, the, the, uh, as they got started out, the god was reborn uh, with the vegetation the next year. And uh, we we uh, we're tracing this along, as I said, all the way from uh, from. Uh, uh, Isis and Osiris and Baal and Astarte, all the way up through uh, through Jesus and Mary Magdalene as the last, kind of a, in a way in relation to this to the uh, uh, some of the revelations in Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and the Da Vinci Code, and and the idea that uh, uh, that uh, Jesus. Um, um, Yes, he probably did die on die on the cross, 
but that he that Mary Magdalene was in fact his wife and his priestess, and that she carried his child, and later either in southern France or or over in uh, in uh, Glastonbury, other which which whether you are a a um, whether you are an a, a British Arthurian Grail aficionado or whether you are a French Southern French Languedoc uh, Grail aficionado. Uh, you recall, of course, in, in, in that, that in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you know, King Arthur comes up to the French castle, and he looks up at this French knight up in the top of the tower in this French castle, and he says, I say, do you have a Holy Grail? And the French knight looks down at him, and he says, yes, we have a Holy Grail, and our Holy Grail is better than your Holy Grail, you stupid English person, you. And then he says, I flatulate in your general direction, or worse than that effect. <laughs> anyway, so the French, but curiously enough, in, in the Nicene document, uh, at least at least Hippolytus' version of it, when he discusses the Gnostic Christian uh, Marcus the Valentinian, Marcus the Valentinian and, and, uh, and his priestess, replicating uh, Jesus and Mary Magdalene and replicating uh, the uh, the river up there in Lebanon where where, where uh, Baal was killed originally uh, and the river ran red in the spring and, and Marcus Valentinian was replicating this in his communion turning turning water into wine and and uh, and they did this in southern France so at least uh, the Nessine document is is a Francophile grail uh, myth, and so I suppose uh, uh, you know that, that uh, King Arthur wouldn't like that. But anyway, uh, regardless of that, uh, what we're going to discuss tonight, and and is the whole idea of the resurrection or transformation, either way you want to look at it, resurrection and transformation of ancient pagan gods and goddesses and in and the, the revival of them bringing them up into the hermetic kabbalah and 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 resurrecting finding these ancient gods and and and, and using them using them in modern ceremonial magic and and uh uh how important this is in a in a Jungian uh, from a Jungian point of view, and also uh, you know from from the the standpoint of uh, activating our, our our chakra system, because uh, let's get let's realize that Renaissance magicians, the, the the founders of our Hermetic magical tradition, people like Pacino uh, and Giordano Bruno and 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 uh Campanella, these 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 ancient well we'll say ancient these these Renaissance Italian especially uh, magicians who started off the the tradition of uh European ceremonial magic, they really were trying to bring back the classical, mostly Greco Roman, classical pagan god forms and and, and, and bring them back. And, and in fact there is a very interesting book by a fellow, by a scholar by the name of Selzak, called uh, "The Return of the Pagan Gods," and this this involves um, uh, the 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 interest 
in the, with the Hermetic scholars and the magicians in the Renaissance in resurrecting the classical pantheon. Now, the, how does the classical pantheon relate to the Canaanite pantheon? Well, we'll get into that. But the key to, the key to this, the key idea is is that our, our early uh, ceremonial magicians, who were certainly considered themselves to be Christians, yeah, of course, if they didn't consider themselves to be Christians, they were in trouble. But, 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 so they they wanted very, very much to restore classical paganism in the realm of magic, and and uh, so they began equating the idea of which they got from the Sabaeans over in Iran. I will discuss that in, uh, pretty shortly. But they got the idea. Of of attributing, and the Zohar helped him do this, of attributing the uh, the ancient classical gods and, and goddesses to the planets. Well, you know, well, we we have that in astrology, for heaven's sake, which is one of the bedrocks of Hermetic uh, magic. Is our planets? Our planets are all named after classical pagan gods. Well, when do you think this this naming took place? Well, during the uh, during the Alexandrian period, with Ptolemy, uh, the the father of of, of astrology, uh, and and uh, that he that's when when we started uh, naming the planets after the gods. It comes from a much earlier, much much earlier tradition. It goes all the way back. As a matter of fact, it goes all the way back to ancient Sumer and Babylon. Is the naming of the of the planets after the gods. You know, uh, I, I, who knows how, how long how long uh, Ishtar has been Venus, and uh, and of course Nergal was Mars, and 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 uh, so this this tradition of naming the planets after the pagan gods. Now, I'll point out also that the planets, as Facino and many of the Renaissance uh, magicians realized, the planets were inside us. We all we all on the principle of as above, so below. The planets not only represent the spheres of the Kabbalistic tree of life, but they also represent the chakras within us. And uh, we've on this on this show we have discussed uh, the differences between the eastern uh, the eastern arrangement, the Indian arrangement. And and our, and our Western arrangement, where uh, uh, up and down the spine we have these these chakras, and in the West they are a straight relationship to the planets. Whereas in the East they move them all around for different reasons because they use an alchemical uh, relationship. Uh, now, uh, to uh, uh, to mention uh, back to Canaanite mythology again, uh, the reason why. We, in in the OTA, the reason why we prefer to use Canaanite, Phoenician, pre-biblical god god goddesses and gods like primarily Baal and Astarte, El and Mother Asherah, and and all. The reason why we prefer to use those more so than the Greek, although the European magicians, you know, who were our forefathers like Ficino and, and Campanella and these, these individuals, they preferred to use the classical forms. And and uh, uh, the reason why we, we like to use the Canaanite forms is because they go better with the Kabbalah. And what happened in the later days of, of the Renaissance, uh, of Renaissance magic as it began to, 
phase into the Rosicrucian period, that's when the Hebrew Kabbalah was integrated with the Hermetic system. And that's when uh, we, we, we really, the Tree of Life, as a as a master of mandala came into use, and that's when it uh, when it uh, uh, it became uh, the roadmap for for planning uh, for plotting uh, magical operations and 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 uh, the the roadmap of the planets within. So we prefer to go back earlier earlier than than, than classical Greek and Roman. And into the, uh, the what we would call the Canaanite and the Phoenician mythology, and and so it goes right much much better with the Kabbalah. It works much better because it is it is uh, uh, essentially pre-biblical. It, it, it really is. And it, and and these, for instance, um, in, in the, the primary the primary uh, god and goddess. Um, that we have in the, in the Canaanite uh, Phoenician mythology is L, and just just a that's Aleph Lamed. We pronounce it L, uh, and and it means it just means God. That's basically what it means. But also, a it's Aleph Lamed. It's two it's two letters, and the Aleph, if you turn it up on its pointed end. It looks like a bull. It has two. It has cross. You know, it's 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 a V. Uh, if you can visualize it, it's a V with a stroke through the, the the bottom the bottom of it, and then a couple of what looks like a couple of horns sticking up, and a couple of ears uh, hanging down. And this 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 is this is uh, the the well, it's an A. It's basically it's an upside down A. But if you recall, uh, it's uh, what did uh, what did God say? Uh, Put no other god before me, you know. And 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 then Jesus said, "I am the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega." So that that and bull and L was referred to as bull L, and he was often pictured as a bull. And and uh, there's a lot of symbolism in that. The symbolism that 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 uh, where the bull is the is is the, the beginning of the zodiac, and of course that's where the zodiac begins. It begins in Taurus, in Aldebaran, in bull in the bullseye. That's where the zodiac gets starts. So so the bull, Taurus, and and uh, I have a I have a very very close uh, relationship with a wonderful Taurus uh, lady, <laughs> and uh, so this is you know and and like. Uh, Robert Graves, uh, you know, uh, said that you want to find God, that's sitting right next to me. Okay, so that's where the zodiac begins. And and, uh, so uh, the uh, uh, connection that goes through all mythology. Now, uh, believe it or not, and you can believe this or not, but but most scholars do. Uh, the Greek the classical Greek goddess of love, Aphrodite, Venus, uh, in the Mar- in the Roman version, Aphrodite in the Greek version, comes directly from Canaan. She is Aphrodite is Astarte, and she definitely is the Canaanite uh, goddess of love, and that 
and that she's not the only only one that that, that comes that comes over. Uh, Hephaestus, uh, the, the 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 Greek uh, the Greek uh, blacksmith god, is also is is uh, Kusor uh, of the Canaanites. <clears throat> he's the blacksmith, and he's also Tubal Cain in the Bible. <coughs> now, uh, so behind the Bible, the, the these these are. Uh, these gods lie behind the Bible too. El now El, and this is very important. El or Al is not Jehovah. Now the um, the rabbis uh, following Moses, uh, the rabbis tried to to equate uh, uh, Jehovah with El, either that or or move him above El, uh, but that never that never did really work. And most of the tribes of Israel. Uh, the so-called lost tribes who were never lost. They were the ones that stayed there, and the other the other three tribes got carried away. But So the lost tribes were never lost. But the lost tribes all were, and, and most of, and many of them were Canaanite and Phoenician tribes. They they worshipped El. They worshipped uh, El. And, uh, of course, Melchizedek was a priest of El, and uh, the Most High God. And, uh, and, and El, El was the you know, the God of Abraham until Moses came along. And, and at that point, uh, uh, the God that spoke to Moses was, was, uh, was, uh, Jehovah. And, uh, the, uh, which who, who it has been said that he was a son of El, whether or not that's, that works, I don't know, but some, some uh, biblical scholars think that's the case. Anyway, uh, in Canaanite mythology, El was the supreme god. He was like Zeus. In fact, he was cognate with Zeus, or Ea in in the Sumerian. And uh, so, and and he had a Mount Olympus, and and uh, Mount Zaphon. And he had this. They had a mountain up in the uh, up in the uh, uh, in the Lebanon area that where he were. Mount Zaphon, where where the uh, where the gods had their uh, had their palace, and he, and El's El's wife, you know, Jehovah didn't have a wife, uh, but El had uh, El had had a wife, Lady Asherah of the Sea, who uh, was worshipped in many cases, especially in Biblos, uh, and uh, she was uh, she was worshipped over him. And and uh, and in this case, the sea, Asherah of the sea, meant the meant the, the depths of outer space and the sea, and so she was was the eternal. She was the eternal goddess, and he's the and he's the father of the gods. And and interestingly enough, El was referred to as the compassionate. Yahweh Jehovah never 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 got never got that appellation. He he was never called compassionate, and and uh, whereas El, the original Father God, uh, was was considered to be compassionate. He he uh, and he, but he let the minor gods, he let the minor pantheon, uh, Baal, Astarte, and Anath, and the rest of these uh, and Kusor, and the rest of these these. Uh, Canaanite gods, he let them kind of run things down down on earth, 
and and he but he he was he, he was an older god who was compassionate and uh and uh, so consequently uh whereas jehovah was was a was a war god and jehovah jehovah preferred to be called jealous that was that was the name he wanted to have so consequently uh l is is really from a standpoint of having a of having a, an all father god l is a is is really kind of better to have than uh if, if you want if you want to if you want a god that that's supreme and, and and L does work better, and you can uh, remember that half the books of the Bible are actually leaning toward L more so than than YHVH, and consequently uh, you're certainly you're certainly okay not to use YHVH in in Kabbalistic operations if you don't want to, and uh, we don't, so we we prefer to use uh, Tetragrammaton based on the three mother letters, and uh, and we find that it works just as well. And you know, actually, when you get down to it, uh, it's, it's probable, I believe, and and I think there are others who also go along with this, that Jesus of Nazareth was really trying to bring El back into the temple, and and uh, and 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 re- to declare El as as the original father. And if you read the Gospels and Jesus' teaching with that in mind, it it will it it seems to it seems to uh, to to resonate. And uh, because although I think he had to be very careful about it because uh, uh, at that time there there was not a fusion between the two. And uh, but uh, this seems to be I think this seems to be the case, and this is what we would prefer to think that uh that jesus uh, there was as Paul said several times, a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and Melchizedek certainly was was uh, Melchizedek by the way means uh means priest king and uh, Melchizedek was originally gave the first communion uh to Abraham and uh, uh, and Melchizedek uh, was certainly a priest of El. Uh, so uh, this, and this, of course, equates. If you want to equate this with, with Greek mythology, El relates to Zeus, and uh, and so, uh, and of course, Astarte becomes Aphrodite, and and Hera would be would be Lady uh, 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 Asherah. But uh, let's. Let's go a little further here and talk about uh, talk about heroes that became gods. Now, uh, it's often been theorized by mythologians, myth- scholars of mythology, that most gods, most uh, national or or uh, or uh, ethnic gods, most of them in mythology were originally uh, they were originally heroes. They were originally heroic leaders of their people, who who after after thousands of years they of telling stories about uh, about these heroes. Uh, and a good example of this would be Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan uh, has become like a god in Mongolia, and and uh, uh, that that eventually these heroes, these heroic leaders, and and uh, and all they they eventually become deified. 
and they and, and their their adventures become become like uh, allegorical mythology, and uh, uh, so uh, in this in this case, where I'm going to mention one of the most famous, and recently has become quite quite a subject for Hollywood films is is Heracles or Hercules, and uh, Hercules is an example of a hero who who probably was at one time a real person. But how long ago that was, we, we, we have no way of even guessing because Hercules or Heracles is one of these one of these characters and gods, uh deities, uh who came over from the from the Phoenician and 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 the Canaanite on over to Greece. And the original Hercules was Melkart in in Phoenicia, in Tyre, and his labors were referred to as the conquering of the twelve beasts. Well, that that is a pretty short, not exactly completely accurate, but a pretty short description of the labors of Hercules. Because, as you recall, Hercules goes around and and has to perform twelve. Uh, rather dangerous tasks, and, and most of them involve, involve conquering some sort of a beast, or, and uh, uh, the, the uh, you know the lion, and, and then he wears the lion skin, and and so he he uh, and he, he has various beasts that he overcomes, and various tasks he has to do. Now, originally Hercules was a Phoenician uh, uh, demigod, and he. Uh, he was was the god of of the city of Tyre, and uh, in fact, uh, Melkart pretty much translates as the god of the place, and uh, and he was depicted in in the temple as uh, uh, going around and performing these labors around the zodiac, conquering the beasts of the, of the beasts of the heavens. Now. Uh, if you suspect that this had something to do with, with eventually with Mithraism, you're probably right. And 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 Mithraism and and Hermetic uh, uh, the Hermetic Initiatic Code and Mithraic Initiatic Code probably all goes back to that temple in Tyre. Now, let me let me just recount something. An amazing story that that very very few people know about, and uh, relating to this and how and how this was, Alexander the Great, who uh, we are all familiar with, and Alexander the Great uh, came back from from Persia, and was going to march all the way down from uh, from Lebanon all the way along the coast, all the way down and conquer Egypt. That was his plan. Well, he, he started marching down the coast, and he got across from Tyre. Now, Tyre was a fortified island. Uh, the, the Phoenicians liked to build their cities on islands because that way they could they were you know they were safer and like they had it was like they had had a moat around a castle you know they they they, they were they, they, the people on shore couldn't couldn't get at them unless they came over in boats. They were easy to defend. And and then they, their harbors 
were were inside. They they would uh, their harbors were actually inside their fortifications. So uh, they, that's the way they liked to build their cities whenever they had a chance. Well, Tyre was that way, so they built the whole city uh, on an island and it was fortified with an enclosed harbor. Well, they had a famous temple of Melkart in Tyre, which one of my esteemed colleagues believes was actually the the real temple of Solomon was actually the temple of Melkart. Well, whether or not it was, we do know that from the Bible that that uh, uh, that Iram of Tyre, the king of Tyre, uh, helped King Solomon, uh, you know, build his temple in Jerusalem, and it even loaned him an architect, Hiram Abiff, uh, who was part uh, Jewish and, and part Phoenician, to, uh, to actually design the temple. And supervisor's building. Well, now, uh, before the Temple of Melkart, there were, uh, they had a couple of pillars. One of them was green and was translucent. And uh, and it could be seen. It was like a, it was almost like a lighthouse. It could be seen from out to sea. So when the Phoenician uh, when the Phoenician traders came sailing in, they looked for that pillar, especially after dark. They they looked for the green pillar uh, in front of the temple, and they sighted on that and came on into the harbor. Now, uh, in the temple, in the temple, there was this was the temple of Hercules now, or their version of Hercules, Melkart. And and uh, and Alexander considered this so important that uh, that he camped his whole army across from from the island of Tyre, and he sent a then he sent a uh, a uh, message over to the to, to the king of, of Tyre, and he said, I would like to come over and visit your temple and make a sacrifice to Heracles or to Melkart. And, well, the king, of course, received the message, and he took it over to the priests in the temple. And the priests uh, said, wrote back to uh, Alexander, and they said, well, no, we can't let you come over here, and we can't let you in the temple, but what we will do is we will come, we will we will come over to your side, over over to the the shore, and we will build an an altar to, uh, or erect an altar to Melkart, and you can make your sacrifice there. Well, Alexander was convinced that he that he was God, and and. Uh, and uh, he conquered enough land uh, where he thought he, he thought he proved it. So he was very offended by this, and he was really really upset by this. And so he told his uh, his soldiers, and uh, all right, we're gonna get to roll up your sleeves, and 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 we're gonna build a causeway all the way over to uh, to Tyre. And we're going to then once we get this causeway built, we're going to march over there and we're going to take it. And so they did. They they all uh, they all stopped soldiering and started being engineers and they and they proceeded to to fill in uh, all the way across this isthmus. They they for this this channel they 
they proceeded to fill in this great big mall, and they made and they made a causeway. And when the causeway was finished, they marched over and they took the city. And they then, and this is the part that is absolutely amazing. They took the city and they took every single initiate of the temple of of Melkart and crucified them because the they wouldn't let Alexander in. Of course, obviously, he got in. Now, what's the significance of this? Well, the significance is is is, is that Alexander Alexander was changing. Not only was Alexander changing um, the uh, uh, you know he would he what he was literally doing was making the zodiac. From that point on, the zodiac did not start at at uh, at, at Aldebaran at at the, at the bullseye. It didn't start there anymore. After that, it started with Aries, because that's that represented Alexander. And so this was what he was really doing was, in a sense, he was he was performing a um, what do they call it in Mithridates. A, 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 a toriotomy. He was killing the bull, and and uh, so he he became even though he wasn't Mithra, but he did the Mithriatic thing. He he killed the bull at that point, and 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 from then on, the zodiac started with Alexander with Ares, and and uh, he carried that on down, conquered Egypt, started a dynasty down there, and one of his successors, uh, Ptolemy. Uh, you know, codified this this age of Aries, and that's and that's today where our zodiac starts as a result of that of, of Alexander's being being told that he he couldn't he wouldn't be allowed to come into the temple. But this, this all of this is uh, part and parcel of our subject tonight because we're talking about we're not, and not only talking about uh, Heracles. Uh, as as a as a, a character in in Phoenician mythology, in in Greek mythology, in Mithraic ritual and everything else, uh, but we're also uh, we're also we got Alexander who who was himself a supposedly or he thought a living god, and and uh, and these these uh these characters in 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 history and in mythology they are all part of our western esoteric tradition and they all relate to it and and we have to uh we we should as we as we practice magic and as we go through initiations and all we should actually incorporate all of these elements into our our magical psyche, into our magical personality, we should we should uh, we should fan these things, and we should make them ours, and make them part of our of our makeup. Now, let me uh, point uh, out another aspect of this that, that relates to what we're saying about these uh, these these uh, well, Phoenician and uh, and Greek and uh, uh, these god forms. Uh, I've mentioned several times on this show, and, and I know that you, those of you who have uh, studied our, our legendas, uh, are aware that uh, that uh, of a a group of of people called the North Sabians or the Sabians of Haran. 
Now, they're very important to this subject. And the reason why they are is this. Uh, Haran is, is, is still there, although the Turks are Turks keep saying they're going to flood it and to make a, a reservoir over it. But Haran was a city uh, built by, in, in, at the time of ancient Babylon, it was built between at the headwaters of the uh, between the the headwaters of the Tigris and the Euphrates River, up it's right over the Turkish border from Syria, and right now it's not a, that that's not a comfortable place to be because you know you might uh, uh, you might get hit by um, uh, by friendly or unfriendly fire if you hang that area too much, but in in ancient times, Haran was referred to as the city of the stargazers. And this is where the Babylonian the Babylonian and, and uh, uh, Median Babylonian Magi, this is where that Magi sect eventually settled in and, and, uh, and they lived in, up there in Haran. And it was, a walled, uh, it was a walled city. And the main thing that these folks did was they were they were astronomical and astrological magicians. They studied the heavens. They 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 had uh, they had temples that were like planetary observatories, and they plotted the heavens and they and they and they 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 were they were very uh, astute astrologers, and 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 they were ceremonial magicians. And they, they, so each one of these planets to them was a god, and they, they, they named the planets after the, after the gods, the Babylonian, and it was, you know, what came down uh, uh, from the days of Gilgamesh, and that's Ishtar and Nergal and Eon, and, uh, um, and so they, they, that, that pantheon, and but the Sabaeans. These well, they didn't call themselves Sabaeans until later. We'll get into that for just a minute. Uh, the uh, these Iranians uh, were very knowledgeable about what was going on with other cultures, and they were especially, you know, the the Babylonian and and uh, and uh, the Median uh, cultures. They 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 knew what they they were very well read. They they are uh, very well educated. And, and they uh, they knew what the Egyptians had written and whatever they were they were scholars and along with being uh, along with being uh, astrologers really really good astrologers and magicians. Now, uh, so they maintained all of these this lore. And Abraham, if you recall from the Bible, Abraham came through when he left Ur. He went up and spent time in Haran before he went to uh, into, into Canaan and and received his dispensation from Melchizedek down in Canaan. So what uh, happens now uh, is that that the Iranians stay there and 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 perpetuate this this uh, uh, astrological stellar religion of theirs, planetary religion, and uh, and keep their their astrological uh, studies going, and this all the way up through uh, through uh, the time of, of Jesus, and and all the way through to, to to the to the rise of Muhammad, and then 
when uh, uh, when, the, when the Arabs began their conquest and they began to move out and convert people to Islam by force uh, and whatever, this uh, this Amir, this Arab Amir with an army, surrounded Haran, and the Haranians, you know, came out and tried to negotiate with him and. And the emir said, "Well, who are you people?" And they said, "Well, we're Iranians." And and uh, and uh, he, the emir, told him, he said, "Look, uh, what do you worship?" And they said, "Well, we worship the gods." You know, well, well, that's not. Uh, they mean you're pagans. And they didn't quite know what a pagan was, but anyway, they you know they agreed we worship the gods. So uh, the emir said, "Now, I'm going to be back in a in a year from now. I'm going to come back this way." And by that time, you are going to have to be, you're going to have to be Christians, Jews, Muslims, or Sabaeans. You have four choices. And if you're not one of these religions, then you are going to either convert to Islam or we're going to, or we'll put you to the sword. So that was their, uh, that was their ultimatum. And off the emir went, so the Iranians all took counsel. I've gone over this before in other programs, but, I, but, I, but because this program is important to us for now, I'll go over it again. The the Iranians took counsel, and they said, well, uh, I think uh, we, we, don't, we don't want to be Jewish. We don't want to be Christian. These are too restrictive. And we certainly don't want to be Muslims because we've looked into their thing, and, and, and they, they don't appreciate anything except except their book, and that's it. So he said, they, 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 well, what's a Sabaean? Okay, well, the Sabaeans were, as they, as they, those that knew told them, the Sabaeans were the Queen of Sheba's people. That was down, down in, in uh, southern Arabia, down where Yemen is now. Uh, and they were very, very civilized before their great dam broke. Uh, and that was a couple hundred years before Muhammad. But they had... They, they were very, very uh, civilized, well, and they, they also had an astrological religion, and uh, very similar to the to the Iranians. And and uh, so the Iranians said, "Well, if they're if they're exempted from forced conversion, let's be Sabaeans because they're pretty close to where we are." And uh, and so they agreed on. They decided that's what they do. But then they thought, well, we're going to have to get some Sabaean books. Well, they couldn't find any Sabaean books. And uh, the Sabaeans did have a language and all of that, so maybe there were Sabaean books for them to find, but they didn't find any. So what they ended up doing was they ended up taking the Hermetic Corpus from Alexandria. They took that. They had, they had, they had copies of that. And they had a copy of what has now what is now known as Ethiopian Enoch. They had a copy of that, too. And... Uh, and so, between the Hermetic Corpus from Alexandria and and the Book of Enoch, they said, okay, we're Sabaeans and these are our scriptures, and so we're ready for this guy when he comes back. Well, the Amir never did come back, and 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 so, but they but they decided to be to be Sabaeans anyway, so that's what they called themselves. And and then now the interesting thing about this is, then they began to develop these invocations and this comes down to us in ceremonial magic and it has to do with tonight's theme. They then gave 
they collected cross comparative mythology. They studied everybody's different name for the gods for all the planets. And in, and and if you read you read the Picatrix, and of course you read the Picatrix, we got the Sabean you know, invocations in there. You'll see what I'm talking about. When they start to 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 invoke a planet or the goddess of a planet or the god of a planet, they're going to give the names in Greek. They're going to give the names in 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 Arabic. They're going to give the names in and uh, in. in uh, um, uh, Coptic, they 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 will go through all of these different languages that they that they that they can think of, where they've collected the names of all of all of the different from all of the mythologies, and that is exactly that's come down to us in ceremonial magic. Now, interestingly enough, um, in fact, we we still use those those. Some of those Picatrix uh, invocations are much very similar to them. Anyway, um, the uh, uh, the upshot of all of this was that they became a hermetic center. When uh, so in Europe during the Renaissance, and these people lasted they 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 lasted all the way up until the Mongol until the Mongols the Iranians kept kept their hermetic center going all the way up till the Mongol hordes became started swarming. That's when they had to leave, and not just not just the Mongol hordes, but also the wells dried up. You know, so they they they, they left Iran at that point, and then then because they were Sabaeans, they were exempt from forced conversion to Islam. They made their living as astrologers and and magicians in the service of the caliphs and the sultans of the Islamic world. These were the magicians of the Arabian Nights, the Sabaeans from Haran. And uh, and they also gave us a lot of Solomonic ceremonial magic. Uh, you can trace right back to, to the Sabaeans of Haran. And, and the idea of using all of these different pagan gods Including, including their, you know, even some versions of our of our Canaanite Phoenician mythology, and and uh, so this is this this is um, you know part and parcel of uh, of uh, use the use of the uh, of the mythological figures in magic, and in and and of course also when when uh, we integrated the the Kabbalah in the magic, then then. These these gods got into the Kabbalah. Now, interestingly enough, uh, some Kabbalists, some Hebrew Kabbalists, will tell you that that planets and astrology doesn't don't matter in Kabbalah. That is baloney. If you study the Zohar, you will find out that astrology and 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 planetary magic is all through the Zohar, and it's 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 it's. In fact, you might even say that. It, I know the Zohar is supposed to be a mystical commentary on the Pentateuch, but but I think it actually there's more there's more astrology and and ancient mythology that influences the Zohar perhaps more than a commentary on the Pentateuch at least the way I look at it. But anyway, uh, the uh, the Sabaeans were teaching classes in magic and astrology in Spanish universities, and and. Uh, 
and then that and the book The Picatrix, that's where the book The Picatrix comes from, is probably one of those one of the it comes out of the, those those Spanish universities. This is where European magicians during the Middle Ages, uh, you know, after right after the Crusades, this is where this is where they went to get an education was in Spanish universities. Before the before the uh the Christian Spaniards threw the the, the Muslim Spaniards out. And and when they threw them out, they threw out uh, uh, you know the, the Jews and the and the and the, and the Sabians and everybody else went along with them. But uh, so the uh, the our 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 gods, our Canaanite god god forms, work very very well with this Picatrix type. Picatrix type system because as I say these people were were the magicians of the Arabian Nights and uh, uh, Solomon as I'm sure most of you are aware Solomon was was uh, yes he was he was Jewish uh, but whether he not whether or not his concept of God was was Jehovah or El, I, I suspect it was more El than Jehovah because when he went to Hiram of Tyre, the king of Tyre, and said, I want to build a temple, and, and will you help me? And, and, uh, and Hiram of Tyre said, praise the Lord, yes, I will. Well, obviously, Hiram of Tyre was praising El, and so I think that Solomon probably, because he wanted to unite all of Israel, and, and most of the most of the Israelite tribes were were worshiping El anyway, so I think they built that original temple to to El, and uh, now that's one of the reasons why Jesus wanted to restore it you know, to to the to the original Father God El. Now uh, that's my that's uh, my take on it, but you know some of the others others might think otherwise. I don't know, but but I I, I tend to think that Solomon was was. Uh, Primarily building the temple for El, and and yet we know Solomon also built a temple to Astarte, and and uh, and so uh, the goddess Astarte uh, was Solomon's Solomon's goddess. Now, uh, why why didn't the why didn't the original Hebrews have a goddess? Why didn't why didn't Yahweh have a consort? He should have, but he didn't, uh, and. Uh, this is when they began. I think this is the, uh, one of the thing, reasons why the Old Testament is kind of anti-female, and and because there seems to be a, 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 a there seems to be you know Jehovah seems to be just very very you know much it's very very patriarchal, and in some instances it still is. But but uh, they had they had a goddess. And that goddess, of course, eventually became, in the, in the Kabbalistic terms, the Shekinah, which is the feminine side of God, which uh, which descends. So, they, they, in a sense, the Kabbalists, not being able to have a goddess per se, they they created a sort of a of a of a, of a hermaphrodite version of Jehovah, which had a which had a female side called the Shekinah, which came down. And yet, uh, there's a very interesting book called The Hebrew Goddess by a scholar by the name of Raphael Pati, and I very strongly recommend this book, which shows you that they really that they really were the ancient the ancient Hebrews really did did quite often uh, slide into goddess worship 
and uh, and their and the goddess that they really seemed to seem to like the most was Astarte, but but then then the, the their leaders did not, and so Astarte eventually became demonized, and uh, so the only way we could we could get her back was to was to go down to Tartarus and bring her back up, and and uh, you know and say, well, goddess, we're we're bringing you back up again, and and of course her her symbol is that is the pentagram and that's because Venus describes a perfect pentagram when she goes around the zodiac as I'm sure some of you have heard. So anyway, um the um the uh, uh the idea of the Sabaeans with their with their all their different uh, their all the different god forms relating to each one of these planets and these planets, of course, relating to spheres and the tree of life, and uh, and all this, and Solomon, you know, being a secret worshiper of Astarte, uh, this this all goes into what we call Solomonic ceremonial magic. Now, one of the things that I'm sure that that comes up to mind is that well, Solomon and the building of the temples all that's that's a lot of Masonic symbolism. Well, yes, it is, but the magical aspect of that is is that Solomon, according to the the magical tradition, Solomon used his command of the spirits, and the spirits helped him build the temple. Now, uh, this is uh, this is this is a uh, this is a hermetic uh, tradition, not not necessarily a biblical one, but and and uh, but the, but it is it has it, it also has an analog in the Arabian side of things too, and this is why uh, Solomon uh, or Suleiman is is kind of the is kind of the Arabic Merlin. He's he's the great magician uh, in in the Arabian Nights. And uh, you find he mentioned quite a bit in the Arabian Nights as the master of the jinn. And uh, his magic ring, he can control the jinn. And, of course, Solomon supposedly sealed up these these demons after he got them, got them to work for him. He sealed them up in crucibits or, or, or jars and sealed them with his, with his sacred seal and threw them into lakes and into, uh, and into, into seas and, and all. And, you know, then somebody digs one up on the beach and opens it up, and out comes the genie and and says, uh, and "I've been in this, I've been in this jug for for five thousand years, and and uh, and I the first thousand years I said somebody anybody released me, I would do all this and that for him, give him anything, and then the next thousand years I said the first person released me, I'm gonna squash him flat or something like that. Anyway." So then you got to talk the genie out of out of stepping on you and see if you can get him back to giving you something. But this all this all comes from from the idea that Solomon was was the great magician and the master of the of the jinn. Now uh, these these uh, spirits are all all of them in 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 Solomon that worked for Solomon the jinn. All of them. Were some originally some form of of of, of pagan uh, entity. I can also say this: some angels, some some of the Hebrew angels, some of the angels that have come down to us were originally also uh, pagan gods and goddesses. 
and so uh, there, there's a lot, been a lot of transformation uh, of of, uh, of uh, angels and spirits and and pagan gods into demons that uh, that, that frankly a magician has the right to to use these. We 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 feel like we have in in ceremonial magic, especially in Solomonic magic, we feel we have the right to use these these uh, bound spirits the ones that Solomon bound and whatever, we feel we have the right to use them, and we use them respectfully but, and, and to, to help us uh, accomplish things. And and uh, that's, been a, that's also a traditional ceremony. And we don't feel that that, that, that is in any way uh, making us demonic or devilish or anything like that. No, no, we, the, these spirits are... They have been bound by by Solomon. They're controlled by by the by the angelic forces, and we 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 can use them, and we we call upon them, and uh, that's part of the part of the magician's armamentarium. Um, now, uh, so this explains, or should give you a reason why Solomon is the master magician. And and why he's considered the master magician, and uh, also too, you should uh, understand that uh, that uh, uh, the whole the whole business of ceremonial magic, uh, the way the way it's practiced, is essentially comes down to us from pagan traditions that have been translated into uh, Kabbalistic. Uh, and uh, and into uh, um, you know angelic angelic cabalistic uh, formulas that that uh, we that, that are con- so the whole idea is you're supposed to be if you're if you're uh, if you're a Solomonic ceremonial magician you are supposed to be uh, on you have God on your side you you are supposed to be a God fearing. Uh, um, uh, loyal uh, Christian or or Jew or or or, or Muslim, or you're supposed to be, and use that power and that faith and that and that uh, strength to to control these these rebellious forces and these earlier pagan pagan uh, forms that uh, that. So I don't. I, I want to make it clear that that um, that. Uh, Frankly, we're not. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing satanic, or or diabolical about any of this. This is, uh, and, a, and a real ceremonial magician does not use these uh, these these uh, Canaanite uh, or these uh, uh, Solomonic spirits uh, to hurt anybody. Or, but he may use them to help himself or to help his family or whatever. He could do that, but. He doesn't use them for evil purposes because because he is a God fearing individual and he's not he's not supposed to do that and and if he does fear God he's he's not going to so consequently uh, this is uh, uh, this is not as I said it's just it's not a, anything satanic or anything like that and we certainly don't make uh, if if you're a real Renaissance type magician you don't make pacts with any of these spirits. You may you may bind them to cert, for certain purposes. You don't make packs with them. They work for you. You don't work for them. And uh, so, consequently, uh, uh, it, it, once this is understood, 
I think that the the idea that 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 uh, people who do this sort of thing are doing black magic will go away. For one thing, if you're going to bring these these uh, ancient archetypes and I use the Jungian expression there. If you're gonna bring these ancient archetypes up in a in a in a in a in a mirror and then tell them to go out and hurt somebody, you're liable to get hurt yourself more than whoever it is you're trying to hurt. Now, uh so that's something to keep in mind. And it kinda of keeps us keeps us on the straight and narrow. And uh the uh the whole idea here of of resurrecting the pagan traditions and keeping them alive goes back to the idea that Hermes himself said. He said, "He said, man creates the gods of the earth sphere, but the gods of the zodiac are eternal." Now, so he's telling you right there what he's saying is is that that the gods of the earth sphere, the gods that you are that you have inside yourself. Are are really belong to the human race. They are part of you, and and they're part of you. And and he's right because if you look at all of these different pagan pantheons, especially the Greek and the the Greek the Greek uh, gods, you look at all their adventures and all of their their uh, they they had regular soap operas and they conspired against each other and they and they fought each other and they and they uh, and they were really. Well, as Giordano Bruno said about them, they they were a bunch of they were a bunch of hooligans. They 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 really they really uh, just about every every uh, uh, nasty uh, tricky nasty dirty thing you can think of these these old Greek gods did did to man and to each other. So they they have all their their archetypes in in our in our psyche, and we all have them. And and so you need to become the masters of these archetypes. You need to master them, and we use the, the good, the power of the good God, and in and, and and you know in Jesus and 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 even although we don't use Jehovah, we use El. But uh, use use the positive power and the angels, and of course the angels are representatives of God. So we use them to uh, to keep these. Uh, these rebellious forces and these uh, and these uh, 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 forces of, of id and ego, and to keep these in 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 check, and to uh, and to learn from them and and make them work for us. And I think that 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 is uh, that's the reason why uh, the uh, that's the reason why these these old pagan gods. And especially of the ones behind the Bible and the Canaanite mythology, this is why they work for us, and this is why they they are important to keep them to keep them uh, uh, within us and, and use them and and uh, use them to perfect ourselves. Okay, that should uh, just about what I have to say about on this subject. So be sure and tune in next week, and we will talk more about uh, about. Uh, uh magic and and uh and and the various uh, aspects of the hermetic tradition which go into it and until then we'll see you and good magic 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.